Welcome to Read the Room, your resource of a show. Now, in case you didn't know, these conversations are about relationships and how to do them better. So go ahead and come on in, kick your feet up and grab yourself something delicious to sip or snack on and maybe a notepad because there's something good here for you. And you might not think you need it. I understand, but your friends will thank you later. Enjoy. Okay, Christo went last night. Christo came last night. Anybody else awesome? Nobody came. No one. <laughs> no one wanted to come to Sacramento except for the people that were in the crowd. It was a really nice arena. It's like brand new. I don't think we've even played there before. And it was who plays jam packed. Kings, the, the Kings. Yeah, it's very good. Hey, I got one every now and then. Every very now good. and then, I have a, a sports ball team Kevin that I James, can. Big Kings fan. Big turns out. Listen, if you have heard anything about me, you've heard about my fandom. You've heard about mm-hmm. the shirts I have, the jerseys. Yes. Uh, I, a lifelong fan. Lifelong fan. In fact, I couldn't even go to the arena to see a show because I'm only there to watch them To go play, to games. To watch my guys. Yeah, yeah, of course. I do think that there is a an interesting timing thing of there having to be something with your hands right before you're excited about playing some golf. Yes. A couple of years ago it was um, I sliced my thumb open mm-hmm. uh, trying to make Bloody Marys for <laughs> guests that were arriving. And they were authentic. They were, uh, yes, very authentic, and I used a serrated knife, which didn't make it any easier for the surgeon to stitch it up. But I, I didn't let it affect my ability to play golf, nope. obviously. I just basically learned a new swing where I stuck my thumb up in the air straight <laughs> while the rest of my hand did the normal grip. Well, and this year, I'm dealing with carpal tunnel because well, I'm getting Let's get old. into it. No, listen... It's, you know, there are fun little aging things that I feel like every few months or maybe mm. a year, you said, mm, maybe fun, uh, f- that just arise. And they're yeah. just markers to show us of our maturing. Yes. Of our growing older. Well, I think this one comes from holding our daughter. And oh, I, I sort of I do this thing where basically I become her seat mm-hmm. and she just points to where she wants to go, as you've seen many times. But for those listening, I, she likes to, to be looking forward when she's being held. Mm-hmm. And doesn't like it to be like a, you know, an embrace. A sweet no, it's, it's like you're her her ride <laughs> for real. And now that she's getting, you know, bigger, thank God. The yesterday when I felt this pain in my wrist and been trying to figure out where it's coming from, I was like, oh, it's the baby. It's the baby's fault. <laughs> well, and you know what? This is the beginning of you being able to blame a lot on her, which I think is an important yeah, period she, to get she into. Will me. Yeah. Of down course. the road. Yeah, you'll be investing into each other's therapy, and that's yes. what a true family well, no, it'll relationship be, it'll be is. Mostly about. me paying for <laughs> I her do therapy think, and my own. Do you think that's a good tidbit for parents? Just go ahead and start investing in in yeah, the, the adult savings health. account. Yeah, just a little. Every time you know you messed up as a parent, you just put a little bit into the future therapy jar. I don't think that's a bad idea. And I don't it think would, so either. I think it would save a lot of parents down the road some uncomfortable. Uh, and any parent that says, I don't, I don't need to do that because I'm a great parent. Put twice Tr- in. Put twice as much in. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to start. Welcome back to Read the Room. I am your host, Kavanaugh James. I hope that you know me by now. I'm very excited to have on just one of my best friends in the world, someone who I greatly respect, admire, have watched at close distance, have really respected at all levels. So thank you for coming to hang out with me. Well, ladies and same. Yeah, but let me say your name first, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Sorry. Nick Jonas. Okay, now you can say same. Same. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, it's me. I, I sound a little <coughs> hoarse. Because I'm... You're you know, doing a little tour? I'm doing a tour right now, and I'm a little 
you know, but I'm 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 uh, going to be as expressive as one can be with certain talking limitations. Yeah, no, I think, but I I, I don't want anything else from you. I want you to okay. just be right where you are. I, I think for context, we should say you had a show last night. I had a show last night in Sacramento. In Sacramento. Big, uh, big Monday Kingston. night show. Which, you know, notoriously the hip-hopist crowd. Yes, of course. It was surprisingly uh, lit, though, if I can say that. I'm just yeah. talking about my carpet tunnel. <laughs> Um, but it was really, it was a great show and, and a beautiful new building there that, as you know, the, the Sacramento Kings Well, yes, playing. I'm a, a huge fan. And, you know, I just was thrilled to be on stage. It was a great night. And, but I, I was dealing with a little bit of like a, you know, funk early in the day. I don't want to quite call it a cold. No, it wasn't a cold. It was just a little bit of a funk. Yeah, but let's also say that I have a, at several, you know, Nick has like a superhuman ability of continuing on and being energized by activity or energized by like a thing that you have to do. Is, yeah, that, is that fair to say? I'm really into the, the power of adrenaline. Well, okay, yeah. So then, because all day I'm sitting there thinking ah, it's a you know two and a half, almost three hour show. Yeah, I don't know if vocally I can do that if I'm dealing with this funk. And then, like as each hour goes by and you get closer to showtime, chest starts to open up a bit mm-hmm. more. Vocal cords just like start to magically kind of come through. And there are times where it really is impossible to do it. But I have this rule, which you know about, but uh, where I I never uh, say the words out loud. I'm sick, right? Because that makes it real. And, you know, now there's all this testing that you can do to see if you're sick, which I'd never realized before. But it's actually, it's a good way to remind yourself that, like, if you kind of, throughout the day, whether it's performing on stage or in, in your business or mm-hmm. in, in, if you're an athlete, you know, you, you can let that adrenaline kind of take you through it sometimes. And especially in our very, very fortunate position to have uh, an arena full of people helping sing along. Yeah. It, it like lifts you up, which is a, a beautiful thing. Well, yeah. Cause I think that this is important to note that you guys are legitimately doing a two and a half, three hour show. Like you, you say that and I feel like it could kind of roll over people's shoulders a little bit or like, Oh, yeah. that's a long time. No, no. These men are singing live. They are playing. They are doing all of the things they are entertaining with every bit of their hearts. It's a lot of output every night. It is. But it's incredibly rewarding. You know, the whole idea came from basically this five nights, five albums thing we did on Broadway. We did mm-hmm. a Broadway residency back in the spring. Which I know was your first time on Broadway, wasn't it? It was my, one of the first. <laughs> we did it at the Marquee Theater where I, where I did a show as a kid. Uh, with Never heard of it. With the <laughs> Reba McIntyre. It's called Annie Get Your Gun. <laughs> anyway, we did it there, and, and you know, we said, okay, we're going to do five albums over five nights. Kind mm-hmm. of like a promo thing. Yeah. And we were all excited about it, but we didn't realize you know, how excited the, the fans would be about this idea. And, and that meant the world, because these songs that we wrote in our youth, some of those songs almost written out of desperation in the, in the the first album of the five that we're playing, the self-titled album. You know, we wrote in the basement of our, our two-bedroom home that a member of the the church that my dad was pastoring and then was basically let go of his job from, one of the members of the church offered it up to us for, for very, very, mm-hmm. very little to just basically survive. Yeah, And so instead of hanging it up and, you know, basically quitting because we were so far in debt from self-funding our band and our record label had just dropped us and all that, we went down the basement and started writing songs and songs that were relevant to us. You know, the, mm-hmm. the previous album was mostly a few executives sort of 
giving us our musical identity and and they would probably describe it as as pushing us towards one but the reality mm. is that it was more them saying this is what you're doing this is what you're doing and they did you know let us is the wrong way to put it but they empowered us to write our own music because i mm-hmm. think that that made this punk rock persona all the more authentic right and it was really you know those first couple of years on columbia were, were, were us kind of cutting our teeth but then we get to the point where we're dropped, the album comes out, doesn't do well. Mm. And we're in this this very tiny home, kind of on top of each other, working through those couple years. And we just wrote all these songs. So, so back to the five albums thing, it was just special to see the impact this music has on yeah. the fan base in their adult lives and how you know some of the themes are just as relevant now as they were to you know angsty teenagers going yeah. through their first love or, or first heartbreak. And so coming out of that, you know, the the excitement around it was was so, you know, visceral that I think we all just sat around and said, okay, what, what's the tour going to be? Right. And we decided on doing five albums one night, that which no we joke. didn't even know if we could pull off, but we just said, who cares? Just put it on sale. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and the people lost and their minds. It, yeah, it's been a crazy ride. But then, you know, as you know, Kavanaugh, we had to we had to build the show. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been an incredibly daunting undertaking. And um, I feel like, you know, all of us are getting older. And so you start to look at life on the road in a very different way. And we obviously have family and mm-hmm. our, our health to consider in a way that we didn't before. And so it's like more like being an athlete these days and it really sort is. of that kind of schedule of a baseball player or something like that than it is a musician. And it's fun. It's, it's, it's a whole new challenge some 20 years into mm-hmm. our career. Do you feel like, I mean, we joke, just to give everybody some background. So Nick and I bonded, I think, early on on our love of musical theater. So it's a constant bit that we have of, I love your Broadway career, as you know. And so we'll always kind of be like, no, wait, what were you doing? I don't even recall that Broadway show. I haven't even seen it, but I know exactly which one. I know which years he was in it. But I think that even to that point, there's something about that training and the fact that you started there at a young age. And I know we've been talking even the last weeks. I'm like, does it feel like a Broadway run? I mean, you're moving theaters every night, but it's like that same level, if not more, I would definitely think more output that you've probably been set up to win in some way. Absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, the, the life of a, you know, a, a theater actor, whether it's a national tour or uh, on Broadway mm-hmm. or even off Broadway in regional theater, when you're doing five plus shows of anything a week, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, five plus shows of the same thing right. every week is super intense. Now we do about, you know, four shows on average a mm-hmm. week. And in some cases, less, even more closer to three, just with the time it takes to move a stage and other yeah. pieces of the puzzle. But around four is, is I think, totally doable, doable in the sweet spot. There's been a few extracurricular activities <laughs> that have also added to potentially some of the fatigue that mm. comes with mm-hmm. life on the road. But I genuinely spend more time in gratitude and, you know, and walk oh, around I- just on cloud nine that, you know, these shows have been as fun as they've been, but also the the reaction from the fans is is really encouraging. And you know, we we have a few call out moments throughout the show where we we actually speak to fans. My and, favorite moments, yeah, me too, because it's it's the part that's different about each night. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really amazing to see we we have a lot of fans that are are doctors and mm-hmm. dentists and teachers and hardworking young to to early thirties adults who. Yeah who I feel like we've all grown up together and, 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 you know, this music that we're able to walk down memory lane with, it doesn't feel overly nostalgic in a way that right. would be like, this is the 
the trick of or tonight. Or sentimental. It doesn't feel that way. It feels just very... It's like celebratory of where we are now, mm-hmm. which is why in the show, if those of you have seen it or are coming, we, we made a point to start out with this lyric that I, I thought you know, was the the right way to set the stage for the night, which is through the fire we made it, look at us now. And it's from our latest album, Celebrate. And I think it just sets the the stage for what we're about to yeah, do together. Yeah, fully is that. And it's it's been super fun. It's been a blast to watch you guys. I love watching y'all win. I also love seeing, you know, fans being able to connect with you guys on a through line that I know you hold in real life, which is that relational piece that y'all do write very honest, very real. And so whenever people are finding a song from yours, they're coming to it from an honest place. And the cool thing about this night is that you're literally giving every fan what they would want. I mean, obviously, we can't, I'm saying that, that, you know, by and large, everybody's getting something that they love there. There's a song that maybe they would think y'all wouldn't do that they're going to hear. Yeah, or on on any other tour, we might might not play. Right, because you just don't have the time. 30 plus songs that we just never played because we didn't have the time or or they weren't feature kind of songs on the album. Mm -hmm. But with this, the first couple shows, I saw a bunch of signs like, please play this. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if they know yet that we're actually doing what we said we're going to do. Yeah. We're playing everything. No, it's cool. I think that you guys honor your fans incredibly well, and I think that that's a through line in your life. Okay, so hopping real quick, because obviously you know very well what my intent is in in this space and kind Mm -hmm. of why we're here. And uh, so let's give people, let's just rewind a little bit. How do we know each other? How did we become friends? I think people might be fascinated to know. Yes. Well, we we have two different stories. Literally, I say, let's talk about why they're different. And I heard, you know, you and, and Frank or mm-hmm. Michael Park talking about it when he was on the show. But in my version of it, if I can start, we were basically living in California. Our label was out there. We were doing a lot with Disney. They were based mm-hmm. out there. But we were also on the road so much yeah. that our parents felt like it was important that we had a hub that was central, somewhere we, we could be to the East Coast in you know two and a half hours or mm-hmm. get to the west coast in two and a half hours and you know given their history in the dfw area having met there gone to bible college there together and then eventually coming back to serve as uh worship pastors and, and teachers and that's same where, school i went to yeah, that's where <laughs> i was born in 1992 so we we came back to to Dallas, and basically, we, we tasked our mom with finding us a, a home mm-hmm. that we could all live in together while we were on the road touring. And so she looked at a bunch of places, and the last place that she went to was a place in this community in North Texas, about forty-five minutes outside of Dallas. Dallas proper, yeah. Yeah, and she called all of us and said, "I think I found the one. You're gonna love it. Uh, it's a beautiful community, and you know, I think this is it." So yep. eventually, we we moved and set up shop in this community and within days of being there, which at that time, you know, was a bit of a uh, kerfuffle, if you will. Listen, um, our house was on the news. <laughs> it yeah. Was it was like, <laughs> it was a pretty wild time. It was. This was 2008 and we were literally, I think on the burning up tour or we y'all, were about to be going on. The y'all were about tour. to start. Oh no, y'all were on burning up. 2009 was the, the was the cowboy wor- world tour. Yeah. yeah. So we move in and immediately I'm in I'm in love and with the place. It's just perfect. You know, it's got a basketball court, a golf situation. It felt like a little piece of just quiet and a real safety net of people that I think were, you know, aware of kind of the the fame sure. part of it, but also working really hard not to seem affected, which was also entertaining. 
you know, even at that time, I think I was, I was able to recognize when someone was, <laughs> was being overly uh, kind, kind uh-huh. or like even rude thinking that like, <laughs> I would sit there and go, oh, I'm so oh, glad they're being so rude. Much. It means they're real. They don't just uh, yeah, I can give trust me special them. treatment. Yeah. That's the biggest misconception with, with get into it. I mean, we've talked about this way too much, so I'm, I'm going no, to sound please to you. No, but yeah. <laughs> but it's one of the things that I, I think a lot of people who, who comment on their fame in their work, whether yep. it's, you know, someone like Larry David mm-hmm. or others in, in that sort of world yep. will be that they represent the thing in those moments on these scripted shows in a really funny way for those of us who have to been see through them it. clearly. But I don't think the people at home have any idea that it's coming from a real, real place. Yeah. <laughs> that these are pulled from real experiences <laughs> and that I'm really talk really, like this. I can relate to this. It's like the the idea of of being like rude to seem normal. Yes, or disinterested. Disinterested to seem yeah. Calm I don't enough. know who you are, but my daughter loves you. It's like well, I never liked your I, music. But yeah, I never so liked so. your music. So anyway, there was a lot of that going on. Sure, but my mom immediately became friends with your mother. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, similar interests, shared values, and uh, you know, raising a bunch of kids. That was uh, comforting for her, and, sure. and literally, we're not talking about neighbors like in the same community. We're talking next door neighbors, which is, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, one of those destiny meant to be well, God yeah. situations. Yeah, it was. I had no friends from back home, really. You know, we we had our community of people that we worked with who are very close to us. And I when would you say back home, you're saying LA some or of my Jersey? Best friends, uh, Jersey, and even LA. Yeah, we basically had John Taylor, Greg, Jack Lawless, Phil McIntyre, who are our band and our mm-hmm. manager, but also very close friends. Yeah, of, ours. of course. And and some of our closest friends yeah. today. So I didn't I didn't really know how to make friends. Mm. So many of my friendships came out of basically being put with other kids yeah. or teenagers in a work setting and sort of like, well, this is your high school. Like be, it doesn't be, matter be that friends. it's on a set. Just yeah. like, yeah, just, and, and so a lot of that is, is, you know, somewhat well-documented not to sound overly whatever, but you know, that, that is my past. Yeah. And I was, I was even at, you know, 13, 14 aware of how bizarre a world mm. that was. Mm-hmm. So really creating normal friendships. And when yeah. I say normal, I don't mean people that aren't in the industry or fame. What I mean is, Normal. Genuine. Hey, I'm so and so. Nice to meet you. We yeah. met because we met, and right. not because someone put whatever. us together, or because but yeah, our mothers did. They did. They did. So all <laughs> here I am thinking I have this independence <laughs> from the mouse. Mama Jay said. No, it turns out my mother was <laughs> no. So you know, I'm very grateful for that. But she was basically like, the James is your next door neighbors have a, a son around your age. You guys should hang out. Like, and I was no like, thanks. No, I was like, okay. <laughs> But I, I did find it very hard to trust people. Yeah. And not trust like, oh, they're going to take something from me or they're going to sell a story. Like, I don't want to play into any of those tropes, but I found it hard to trust people with my context. So yeah. we're going to talk about like relational stuff mm-hmm. and we spend a lot of time talking about relational stuff. Is I don't expect you to understand everything. Mm-hmm. that I'm going through, whether it's an emotional journey, a career journey that is complicated or family, whatever it is, I don't walk into a room and expect you to have that context if right. I've never met you. Yep. And and the difference is if you live a public life like this, you don't have that option. Right. Everyone has this context that you don't get or have. And they think it's accurate context and, too. Correct. Says my best friend. <laughs> because you've been there in times where people walk into the room with that context. Yes. And then you're just sitting there going, It's tired. It's really, it can be, it can be tough. Yeah. Um, but also, it, 
it fosters an enormous amount of grace mm-hmm. and patience that without these experiences and, and these moments that were, you know, difficult navigating these things yep. at a young age, certainly gave me all the tools to be a, a person that I think is aware enough to, incredibly, you know, not walk into the room and assume anything about anybody. So my mother has this conversation with your mom. And they set us up to, so my fear is not, I don't trust this person. I'm not going to share yeah. my life with, you know, secrets or like what's going on in my world because they might, you know, no, it was more just, it's, it's, it's too much context. Yeah. To like, it's actually, exhausting to think about updating you on all this stuff and be like, you still want to hang out? <laughs> you up to speed? Yeah. <laughs> and do I seem odd? Because that was, you know, my, my youth was a lot of that in my yeah, childhood. Sure. It's like trying to explain to elementary school students right. why I missed Wednesdays. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And why I came in late. two hours late. Yeah. And that was because the I didn't principal get back to the theater. <laughs> of the school <laughs> yeah. had the conversation with my parents and said, you know, love what Nicholas is doing and, mm-hmm. and want to continue to encourage him in his craft or whatever. So we'll accommodate his, you know, sort of special needs from a scheduling perspective. Well, that's awesome. And then the kids would look at me and he's like, you know, this third graders like do you get paid to do that? And you're just like, <laughs> God, this, this is really tough. Anyway, yeah. so we meet, I think the story goes that we played basketball the first time together. That we met. You we think met. we played, mm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't have to be right. No, I'm, not, I'm, no. I, I'm willing to be wrong. <laughs> No. But we didn't have someone like documenting. No, no, you know. no. The, my only difference, which I, again, and I don't think anybody has been able to validate this for us, but my first memory was coming over to the house and meeting all of you guys at once. That very well could be the case. But we didn't like connect then. It was like the first time that we hung, hung out, out and yes. we both remember fully, like, connecting fully on the on the basketball court. I think was that. Yeah, it was you and Phil. Yeah, yeah, me and Phil and you. Yeah, yep. And then it was soon after that that it was like another like hey. You want to hang out? Because mm-hmm. I because I was you know just walking around the neighborhood or getting in a golf cart and doing something, and enough of these sort of like by proximity like yeah, hangouts, just seeing each other and yeah, um, was like the first. Hey, let's go like hang, hang out. Yeah, and we went to do something. I can't remember what it was exactly, but then we were driving softball. through softball. <laughs> we're like, oh, we're hungry. oh good. You're telling. <laughs> we're really hungry. Never told anybody the story. Never had to. But we're here now. So we're like pulling into the Taco Bell drive-thru. Roanoke, Texas. Roanoke, Texas. And the guy that's taking our order, we pull up to the window and he sees that it's me. Nick's just gotten his driver's license. He's very pumped. Like we're just excited about it. It's like this fun time. We just play an awesome softball game. Go ahead. Yeah. And this guy sees it's me and goes, oh, and says some very ignorant Mm -hmm. stuff, which I'm not going to repeat, but it was... It was incredibly forward about, let's just say, uh, a sexual Yes, your ability to enjoy yes. celebrity. Yeah. And I just sort of stopped and was like, you know, I said something in response that I'm glad isn't on the internet because I would have <laughs> sounded like a, I, a prude and, you know. No, you like, handled it as so if I was well. Like running for office or something. No, look. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself, young man. It it was of that um, tone. It was of that tone, but it was it wasn't even bad what you said, but it was so correct in that I believe you asked for his age and then basically we're like, "Okay, so you're old enough to not speak that way." <laughs> it was like the perfect kind yeah. way to let someone know they were out of line. But the funny thing is that that he probably was the perfect age to be saying things as ignorant and dumb. Like I just thought, oh, he's 
two years older than me. He right. should carry himself with more decorum or whatever. I think though that that is that's a great <laughs> that's a great initiation of our friendship because I remember that moment very clearly. And while you're having the exchange with him, Nick is like passing over <laughs> bags of food. Yes, and I'm of getting Taco a, Bell of Taco Bell, and I'm I'm getting a sense of him, and I immediately love that he has called this out because it was like on you know I don't know him this well at this point to be able to jump over and be like, yo, bro, relax. But Nick handles it. There is no need for me to say a word. And yeah. I remember looking over being like, oh, this is my dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I was kind of, we talked about it the day or two later, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I think we were both like, yeah, okay, we're good now. Like <laughs> We experienced that. Did, did that. We're, we're buddies. Yeah. And it was, you know, from that point on. It's true. You know, obviously, like, there are some interesting relational things, dynamic-wise, that I feel like are unique to us that mm-hmm. I think are are fascinating. You know, Nick and I have had the privilege of living in different states near each other. We have, we were in Dallas next to each other. We've been living in New York within, well, anywhere's walking distance in New York. So I can say that correctly. It is to us. To most people, they're like, you walked 112 blocks today? What was it? Like, Like well, before lunch. Before lunch. And then we got another 100 in. I think it was like a month and a half ago, we got what, 12 miles in in a day or something like that? That was aggressive. That was aggressive, and Nick yelled I'm, at me I'm several different lie. times I'm, for I'm, how fast I walked. I was dealing with a little like uh, stomach thing that day. And Why didn't you say? I was nervous. I was well, nervous. Halfway through the walk, I was like, hmm? it could be. Because we were on like the East River in a very dodgy area. <laughs> now, how did we get to the East River in a dodgy area? Because I said, <laughs> let's walk this way. Go East. And <laughs> Go we east, east, young man. Yeah. Well, I, look, had I known that, we would have we would have hopped out of that situation quick, yeah. fast, and in a hurry. Because that's the worst. It was dangerous. New York, in general, having to use the bathroom or mm. need any bit of facilities, that's not where you want to be. No. Unless you're like uh, Midtown and you kind of have an understanding of where you can even pop then, in. Even then. Even then it's dicey at best. Yeah. Okay, so uh, if we talk about like friendship beginnings, you correct me if, if I'm wrong. I feel like the journey of people becoming really close friends is like there are these thresholds, right? You have maybe like a first solo hang. You know, we're riding, we go to Taco Bell, and then it's like, okay, can you come over and meet some of my family and like hang in that vibe? Yeah. And then you have more hangs, and then maybe it's like, okay, you want to go away for New Year's or something like that. It's like there are these different kind of progressions. Oh, I can travel with this person. It's basically like at the, the start of any friendship, there are benchmarks of, how embarrassing will you be in this environment? Do you travel well? Exactly. And you have to make sure that, you know, you're picking a winner. It's true. It's true. On Because my dad always used to say this. And this is, you know, I think good advice. I still don't really know like what it means. It's sort of like, break an, it down. like an idiom in that way. All right. Okay. It's like when, sh- when someone shows you who they are, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Like, I'm always like, I, I know did. exactly what you mean, but it doesn't really make grammatical sense. But well, it, it's a play on that Maya Angelou quote. Yeah. Which, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. Which I love, though. Listen. Listen. That, I, get it. I have a friend who used to say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't put a saddle on him. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So in friendship, it's important to make sure that someone can travel well. They can, they can hang in different environments and... Yes, and sometimes your friends embarrass you, or or they they they're overserved at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'm you know Same. including I'm like, myself in all we're these all categories. In this boat. We are not saying we are better than that. We're saying I'm included. Oh, fully included. And and it's also how in conflict people react. And, yes, you know whether that's family, friendship, or romantic relationship. It's 
there's so many of these things that along the way you, we always say like look for those red flags you know mm. um, and it what are your green it, flags for you green flags obviously transparency honesty about yeah. about whatever anything mm-hmm. I think someone's ability to see the positive in certain situations mm. and not sort of lean on the negative yep. or thinking that that's like fun. Yeah. They you know, just stay is there. there anyone that's talking about you or about you, someone else around you yep. and you see that as a theme, I think you can expect that the same is happening when you walk out of the room. And, I'd say you absolutely can. And I'm guilty of it too, where I'll say, I just need to like decompress about this thing. And then I, I go to bed and I check myself and go, I need to get better at not needing to decompress about mm. certain situations. How about I just address it with the person and say, hey, this thing happened, and the way that you spoke to me in this way made me feel this way, or whatever the situation is. I get, But that's like, a, I mean, no joke, that's something you are very good at, and it's something I know that you've been intentional about, but like over 15 years or so, you've become incredibly direct. I think both of us, because of upbringing, not to like go back to it, but you know, Nick and I both grew up in the church in large part, and and still, there's wonderful things about it, really difficult things about it too. And I think that part of the upbringing is an indirect communication and everything yeah. is kind of, you don't want to really upset or hurt the other person. So I'm going to meter what I actually am feeling, thinking, sensing so that I'm protecting you. And then what happens is you end up protecting each other into unhealth and resentment. Yeah. But it's like you are someone who I think are so good at addressing things as they come up as opposed to holding on to them. When did you see that like shift start to happen in your life where you're like, okay, I'm frustrated and we could just take this head on? I think when the band broke up, you know, when brothers and I decided to end things, it was really more me kind of driving that conversation. It was one of the uh, first truly honest conversations we had had in a Mm. long time. Because it was a lot of that. It's like we didn't actually, we didn't have the time to unpack stuff. Yeah, because you were going, going, going. And we couldn't really like, you know, sit down and spend two hours with a therapist and or in whatever mm-hmm. environment and like break it open. Yep. It was just that bottle kept getting shaken up and then eventually the, the Lid cap popped off. come off, you know. And, and so when we broke up, we started to actually build relationship with each other mm-hmm. and, and there was no work attached to it. So if it blew up and it was a fight, it just was a fight. Not a fight physically, obviously, but like an argument. and Disagreement like you would and, have with your siblings. Yeah, and that could last for an hour or because there wasn't an expectation that we would be on stage together that night and everything had to be fine. That could have been like days. Which I also think is really good and people underrate this ability to let attention points sit for a day or two yeah. because it's not about necessarily letting someone know that you're upset enough or about withholding as much as it's about getting your thoughts really aligned, letting the emotions subside, being able to come to the thing from a level of a headed place as you can. And I think it's underrated, but I feel like something that I've learned in our friendship in just watching and just seeing how you navigate in such wisdom that I'm like, oh, it's okay to just let something be awkward for a day. Well, I think there's a lot of the reason it's it's not more common, in mm. my opinion, is that there's so much anxiety in silence. Yeah, and letting something breathe. Uh, and you're comfortable in silence. Yeah, I think that if you have real trust in the other person, again, whether it's it's romantic or family uh, friendship, if you have trust in their character, then you shouldn't expect the consequence to be terminal. So good. 
you know, the expectation should be, we're going to talk about this. Yes. And it's, I'm not going gonna to fear okay. that they're going to abandon me mm. because of this. And it, I think it's just, we do that because yeah. we're, we're fearful beings and, and we've all been hurt. Real. Yeah. We've all gone through sticky situations with people that were like, Oh, mishandled that. Or yeah. oh, that teaches me to not let this thing out. Maybe as early as I did that time. Hurt and pain and kind of rough experiences with family, with friends, any kind of relationship, if you let them, can teach you wrong ways of maneuvering. Yeah. But I feel like what's been consistently something I respect about you is like the overall drive to health. You're one of the most ever-evolving people that I've known. I think it's an incredibly remarkable thing because you legitimately have your eyes towards this is where we're moving. You're not held in like things that you're still trying to shore up or figure out. You're moving forward. And then as things come up, you're like, okay, let's deal with that. Let's let that go. But it's this constant, okay, let's adjust here. Little adjustment here, little adjustment here. You don't bear the weight of everything needing to be perfect, but you're always moving toward health. And I think that that's something I've always respected. Where do you feel like that blend or even that balance in you has come from? To be able to move toward health, be okay with what's not resolved, and unafraid of walking through those moments. Well, it's very kind of you to say all that. I, I, I don't think that I know the answer. I mean, I, I think yeah. that it's, it's my desire to see the people I love happy and thriving. And, and you know, a lot of times recognizing that the way in which I communicate can be direct and Mm -hmm. characterized by some at times as overly direct. So, you know, finding a way to, to approach pragmatic conversations around health and relationships by contextualizing things and even letting that anxiety that I have, that I, that my, my tone is going to sound direct is not my intention. And it's hard because so often we talk about, you know, like my intention was this when I did this. And a lot of times it can, to some people, it can come across like a counterproductive method of Mm -hmm. trying to reset the context and whatever. Because I think it's easy to to be like, well, you didn't behave that way. (laughs) I don't care what your intention was. Your intention felt this way. And I think it's just like, you get older and your your pride lessens or something, or it gets bigger if you're a narcissist. But it should, I think, just get <laughs> by as a rule. Yeah, it, it should, should lessen. As you get older, you should mature into like being like, yeah, maybe I did handle that really badly, and, and I'm not taking so it, sorry. Yeah, not taking it as a character judgment on yourself. No, just be humble enough in the situation. Be like, yeah, it doesn't matter what the intention was or what I said, what I meant to say. Like, just be like, I'm so sorry. That's I'm, I feel terrible. Like, you, I, I want to see you thrive, and therefore I'm going to figure out how to never do that again. Yeah. Okay, but that speaks to like a very different thing than most people, regardless of what they do in life and where they sit, don't have like a real understanding of, I don't think. I, I would wonder, um, not even understanding, but a, a lack of fear in being exactly where you are trying to, because I love what you said about like, yeah, I know my tone, but also I know my intent. And so it's like, you can communicate and be like, okay, I, I missed it there. But because the weight of you missing it doesn't make you bad or make you wrong, it just makes the moment different than maybe it could have been. You can address the moment and you can address your actions in it, but know that your intent was clear so that everything else that came with it, it, it almost, it gives you a shorter work to health yeah. if the intent is there, like you're saying. 
I'm going to give a really strange analogy that I've been working on for a while. Oh, I love this. this okay, okay. Thing. Great. Sort of like when your friend or your partner, brother, sister is planning your birthday party. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're like, hey, what if we, what if we changed it to this thing? Are you making it? And then they're mad at you for jumping in. Yeah. And, and I have at times been like, if your intention is to love me, to show me love by planning my birthday party, if I'm throwing adjustments at you in real time, that's all part of the love. That's all. Shouldn't that, shouldn't it be included wrapped up? So that the love package. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like your intention is to show me love. But when I tell you, you could, you could do it like this and I would actually feel it mm. and you get mad or you don't receive that because you had your plan on how to love me. It's like, don't throw the birthday party. Yeah. Cause you're <laughs> revealing what it's really about. Yeah. And I think that that is so often the case. It's like, if your person, whoever it is that this is, might be, you know, worth listening to. It is. Um, <laughs> I is, like is like, is like, Hey, can I just help you love me better? Because yes. I'm, I'm me. Yes. I know this, what's happening Give in here better than, permission. than you can. Yes. And your reaction is that you feel like you knew or why are you telling me? It's anything but yes and. Mm. Then you got to reset. It's so interesting how that has overlapped in so many of my relationships mm. with my, my family members and you know band members. Yeah, sure. Kevin and Joe, like, I think we, we, we've got to a point after the breakup where it was no longer about, you know, work and all that other stuff. So we were actually able to say, you know what, when you speak to me like this, Mm. or here's an insecurity I have that this thing you do perpetuates, if you really love me, can you just meet me where I'm at? Yep. And it's not selfish to to tell people the expectation is, is truly to love me, then here's how I can help you do that. Well, and if you were to say, hey, we're in friendship, and every time you say my name this way, it makes me feel this way. And I'm like, well, that's just how I say your name. Come on, yeah. that's just how I say your name. Well, we're friends, that's just how I say your name. It's like, right, but so there are two people a part of a friendship. What you're giving is not necessarily how it's being received. So then if I'm going to be open and vulnerable enough, because what you do in, in saying like, hey, you can meet me in this way, is you're being vulnerable enough to like serve up a win. You're like, hey, yeah. I'm telling you, you can knock it out of the ballpark with me right here. And then if someone else is like, oh, I see the win there, but I see my idea here and that's kind of more valuable to me, then you're like, well, then don't do anything because you're revealing that it's not about the thing you've said it is. Totally. And I think that there's such a vulnerability in being able to offer that up and for someone to even come back to that and go like, well, I had been thinking this, but now that you're saying this, I'm hearing that, of course, of course, whatever you want. Then you're able to come back and go, oh, well, you were planning this thing. Let's meet in the middle. And it doesn't have any of the vitriol or the weight behind it. Yeah. But it is interesting. That goes into love languages and, and into how we all receive and give different love. You know, if I'm like a words of affirmation person and a quality time and I never see you or hear from you, but you give the best gifts or, you know, yeah. you're really great at doing things for me. It's like, well, that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. I don't ever want to negate you giving any bit of yourself to me. However, yep. it misses me a little bit because these are the areas in which I really feel loved. It's like, why wouldn't you want to do that? (laughs) If I knew where I could meet you, why wouldn't I want to? But I think that that goes back to a security thing of just also being 
solid and set enough in who you are to go like, well, this is actually what I want. This is actually what I need. And I actually want to meet you where you want and in the ways that you need. Because you're not asking for something you're not already modeling too. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, let's hop into this kind of thing. So I think that we talk a lot about chosen family and we both love our families of birth, have also both been really intentional to kind of create a family unit that is larger than that and kind of more expansive. And I say that being like, (laughs) I feel like we share one and then also have our own kind of things. But when you look at through lines of the qualities, you're like, this gets to go with me. And I'm not talking about a type of person, but qualities that you look at and you're like, okay, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I want to see these qualities as I look around the room. And that doesn't, it's not specific to personality. It's like, I love that I heard four different people ask each other about a thing they already knew was going on in their life. Like they followed up on a thing or whatever in that, in that vein. My litmus test is usually, um, if I was, my car broke down the side of the road, three in the morning, Mm -hmm. who would show up? Ah. And you know, it's pretty basic, but it's just in times of need, how do the the people that you're choosing to do life with react? And yeah. And, you know, I know what my answer is to that is that I, I will show up for anybody at any point in time, yeah. drop everything, I'm there, mm-hmm. that I have decided to do life with. Yeah. And that goes for, for their families and et cetera. So I think it's just, I, I expect the same as kind of like what I'm giving out, giving mm-hmm. and, and promising to do in those situations. The other thing is I, I love people that are, you know, that are okay to be this is a strange way to put it, but like, okay to be embarrassed, you know, and Mm -hmm. like genuinely like can laugh at themselves. Yeah. When I say embarrassed, I don't mean like actually embarrassed, like they laugh at themselves, I guess. Like, Oh, I just said that. Yeah. Like, Oh oh my God. I'm like, I think that's a great quality in people in general. It's like, you got to be able to laugh at yourself, laugh at a situation. If you take yourself too seriously, or if you don't understand that it's a joke, like I feel like, you know, who who is so serious a person that they can't like acknowledge I just tripped I just tripped or whatever yeah it's potentially something that I like admire in others that I've worked hard to try to adopt mm. but it took me a long time to be able to laugh at myself in situations so like I would envy it in others and you know uh, Joe is one of my closest friends in the world my brother love him to death and and admire that about him yeah. is that it's rare and honestly, surprising when there's a situation where he's genuinely embarrassed by something. Or I was about to say, because he, you don't ever feel like Joe is being held by a moment. Like no. if he's tripped or if he's forgotten a lyric or whatever, it's like, it does not affect. It's so encouraging to be around people like that. It's true. And I'm not talking about self-deprecating stuff. I'm just like, Mm-mm. you know, if you walk into a door. Can a we talk door, about it? It's funny. <laughs> Can we talk about and, it? And it's not like, haha, you're an idiot. It's like, ha, we love you. We, that's like, yeah. and your we reaction all saw to it. it happen. I don't know. I think that's a really like lovely quality in people. And obviously, my wife embodies that in spades. You know, it, it doesn't take herself seriously at all. And we're seeing it now kind of manifest in our daughter in a way <laughs> that is like just brilliant. Her sense of humor and her like ability to sort of like laugh at situations and even her mischievous like attitude. She's always laughing. Always laughing. Um, it's great. And I think that she will be, and it, it's something that I admired in my grandfather. Like, yeah. there's a theme in all the people that I, I really love and admire mm. is that kind of thing. 
How do you feel about laughing at other people's falling? Because I, I do. You got to make sure they're laughing too. So there, this made me think of this. A couple of years ago for Christmas, my parents and I came out to meet you and your fam, and we were on the slopes one day, and I think I was ahead of y'all by a lift or two, something like that, and you yeah. were coming up with my parents. Nick can ski and snowboard with snowboarding this day parents ski and it had been a while for them and i was like they're fine like they taught me how to ski and it's been some years since we've been together and i get off the lift and i you know down and i'm waiting for y'all and i see my mom put first tips out and just face plant yes face plant and when i tell you i a cackle came from within my spirit that was loud a guffaw it was loud (laughs) And Nick is up helping my mom, literally looking over at me like, you jerk. And then apologize to my mom on my account. But I just have to say, I can laugh at myself. You've seen me laugh at myself falling. You always have to wait to make sure the person is laughing themselves. Okay. Well, it was was down a mountain. I couldn't hear her from up there. Yeah. Plus, she had a face mask on. There were a lot of things. helmet. A lot of things, including my hearing that day. Okay, one of my favorite things, and I I know I talked to you about this personally, but I just think as far as a characteristic that arises as one that I want in my life, this has become one at this point in my life specifically, but is an ability to honor. And it's it's not honor for the sake of, um, you know, bowing down and, and giving someone their flowers and saying they're the best. And I'm not talking about like that kind of performative honor, but I mean really and genuinely taking time whenever you're able to celebrate another person apart from yourself. You and your wife are incredibly good at that. And it's something that, you know, obviously I didn't know her before I met you, but I feel like it's something that has exponentially, like the both of y'all love to honor people. You're, you've always been incredibly thoughtful, but I feel like that's a thing that has even become more of a priority. I, well, I, you know, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Thank you for saying that, but it, it's, uh, you know, the brilliance of Indian culture, which is something that we've both now Love, seen in yeah. firsthand and gleaning um, from I was so thrilled you know in our wedding there were so many things that I learned along the way about ways in which the family honors mm. certain members of the family because you know in western weddings christian weddings very specific and yep. in fact I think a touch flawed <laughs> we have to honor mm. and in most cases it's not our family members or it doesn't have to be right which is totally fine but you know you, you get your bridesmaids and your groomsmen and then the the mothers and the fathers and that's pretty much it mm-hmm. but in indian weddings every member of the family has a role and a significant role yeah and um there's just something really brilliant about it and beautiful and i took to it you know i just that just mm-hmm. the whole idea of it and then on top of that every sort of significant moment in one's life what i have seen at least with my new family and, and the extended family mm-hmm. in, in India is that everybody shows up to honor. It's true. The person. And it, it's like a friend shows up to your kid's birthday party or your mother-in-law's birthday party. Even if they're not directly connected to the person that you're celebrating, but by way of supporting you, yeah, they're giving that child or your mother-in-law so mm. much love and respect. And I just think that there's there's something like confirming about those relationships yeah. in moments like that. And so when I talked before about like who would show show up on the side of the road, I think back to our daughter's first birthday, mm. and we kind of set sent it out wide 
to the collective, mostly our friends. And meanwhile, she's a one-year-old child. She doesn't have true relationship yet with these people. She doesn't have her gang yet. But it's like whoever showed up and really invested Mm. in that time with the rest of the group showing up to invest in that little girl. I'm like, you're all so in. I, I have so much love and respect for you and appreciation for you just coming to celebrate the best thing in our life. Mm. And I think that uh, that's the brilliance of Indian culture. It is. It is. I feel like even having those really clear, it's like there is so much honor in the ceremony and in the individual moments and each member of the family and everybody's included and honored in different ways, but it doesn't feel like this person is the, you know, it's like it's intentional and specific. And I feel like it also comes down in the culture as far as how actually family works in the nicknaming and in the intimacy given in relationally calling yeah. out like you're so-and-so's brother's daughter or yeah. like for, for those that don't know yeah every member of the family has a specific sort of name mm-hmm. so you know cha-cha is okay so you're so-and-so's brother but you're older so you can you can start to like track relationships or like body papa and body mama are like the eldest sibling in the family mm-hmm. and, and so it gives this respect and and also like you know awareness of who's who yes. which is super helpful it's yep. not just uncle so-and-so aunt whatever it's really cool but i think it also translates into like the day-to-day relationship when uh <laughs> I'll, I'll chat with pre about it when i have her on but it's like it has so put me at ease in my Southern culture heart mm-hmm. of, of kind of the over formalization and how things need to kind of be received and, and top level from like the way you give honor to so-and-so's parents. And it's like, all of that is within Indian culture, but it's so much more from a relational place. It's as not a, pretentious. Yes. And it's not performative. Yeah. It's genuine. And that's been, and I'm not saying that it's all performative in the South, but that has been something that I've been like, oh, I want to take that into my life. That the way I honor, there's a through line in how I would do an event, how I'd show up to someone else's, to how I talk to them, to how I give gifts, to how I interact with them. That there is that through line of honor. And I've seen you guys model that incredibly well. We just love our people. Y'all really do. And want I, them all to thrive. Which is not normal for everybody. Like there is a real... Uh, what you said is so true. Like you guys genuinely, every single person in your life are fighting for wins, not just like hoping for them. Have your hands actively invested in the soil of seeing something and someone thrive. So thank you all for that. Now, I think you're really great at hard conversations. We kind of talked through that a little bit, but you know, we've had a couple in our life together, but I feel like we've gotten to where there's such a, a belief in the other person. You operate with that automatically. But I feel like for you and I, difficult conversations have become less difficult. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because there's a level of honesty and honor and all of those things, but also a belief that like, hey, I love this person. This other person loves me. Like you said earlier, I, I trust their character. I trust in what we've invested in. So I don't get to come to this with the fear of like how it could go bad or with the anxiety of this is going bad. Yeah, and I think it's, we often say like, give each other the benefit of doubt. We obviously don't want to hurt each other. Or right. Uh, like my, my wife and I say this to each other, and, and at different points we've said similar things. But I, I don't know, I think in, in friendship specifically, it's like, 
tough conversations don't have to be tough conversations. Right. They can just be conversations that have real intention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the problem with, with I, I think, tough conversations is that they usually come out of conflict and, mm-hmm. and it usually compounds over time. It's not often that someone does one thing and sets you off, and then you guys are in an argument. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like a couple of these little things, right. mm-hmm. and then the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, it could be as simple as like... A look. A look, or like, whatever it is, doesn't matter, simple things. And I think as, as long as like, you can try to walk into a room, mm-hmm. and, and I don't mean to say this, but <laughs> kind of try to read the room, mm-hmm. it's like, a lot of times, I'm, I feel like I'm asking my friends, like, hey, you good? Yeah, I feel like a vibe. Like not with me. Like uh, just in general. Yeah, checking in on your people, and most times, like yeah, I'm cool. I was just actually just thinking about like this thing. I gotta walk my dog Mm -hmm. in like an hour, and I was like, okay. I just I'm just gonna ask you though, instead of letting my anxiety like run wild for 20 minutes, thinking, wait, did I did I say something that was or did I? uh, Mm -hmm. That thing becomes like super problematic. I, and I do it too. The other day you called me when I was, we were in New York and I was like picking up ice or something and my shoe had gotten untied and it calls me and I'm like bent over on the phone with you, but like just sounded uh, bent over, bent into <laughs> a little sad. He was like, are you good? I was like, oh no, no, literally I'm just bent over right now with ice and I'm trying to shoe and I look like a crazy person. But it's that even heart to be able to ask and to be like, and I don't care what the answer I get is will work with it from there. Yeah. A lot of people don't even want to ask that question because it's like, Ooh, don't have the bandwidth. Don't have the yeah. ability to enter into that. How long is this conversation going to be? One of yeah, those of course. But and, also you can lay it out and be like, no, I'm actually not good. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with like you. It's just, I'm going through some shit. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. And that's enough. Sometimes, you know, it's when you kind of like leave it sort of weird and I think mm-hmm. the proverbial you listening. Right. It gets, it's like, no, you know who you are if you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, because you, you might have a friend really stressing out about, like, I did something. And then, you know, whatever. It's just like, don't, don't mislead. What would you say is, I don't know why this made me think of that, because I'm like, okay, let's say you have messed it up. I'm like, what's your way back from that? Because sometimes, and and there have been moments even in our friendship and other friendships where it's like, I really am working through a thing. And we know I spend some time in my head and processing and whatever else. And then that can take me out of being present with you or with anyone else that I'm at. And then it causes a reaction that you're like, whoa, what was that about? And I'm like, I'm in a different land right now. What's a way back for you? I think that oftentimes uh, the way back is just to be like, Hey, can we just <laughs> just back it up like ten steps? Obviously, n- neither party here like wanted conflict. Yeah, like otherwise we wouldn't have met for like a beer, right? Like if we were like, you know what? What's the activity? We're gonna we're gonna go bowling and have a beer, and then let's have an argument. Yeah, I'd like to have a fight on. It's a like stool. nobody. We didn't obviously want that. We're not right. trying to be. It's not the thing what, you were after. What's really going on? Right. I think that helps. It's sort of de-escalating the thing just to be a little bit more like. Let's get back to, let's touch base. Yes, I think that that's good too. 
is to is the touch base, the grounding yourself, even in just the relationship when things can get yeah. heated really quickly. Because a lot of times, what you're dealing with or getting from another person has nothing to do with what is actually going on in that moment. It's like yeah. what they're walking in with, what they're having to work through before they sit down with you. I think that there is so much wisdom, A, that you walk in. But I'm like, relationally, I greatly respect how you prioritize as many people in specific and thoughtful ways as you do, while also being the most activated entrepreneur I've met. Hmm. I wanted to kind of hear from you, and there's really not even so much a question as a prompt to go, how do you feel like they intersect? I think that you are an incredibly varied person as far as influence and who you want in your life. There are through lines of intention, how people treat others, that level of selflessness and being able to meet someone else. Like I see you looking for all these through lines, but they come in packages that are incredibly varied, and your work life looks like that as well. Do you feel like that variation in both helps each other or one kind of is out the gate first? Well, I think that in my work life, I'm fortunate enough to work with the people I love Mm -hmm. for the most part. And then on, on projects that are more kind of in the entrepreneurial space, there's some that intersect and I'm working with family and friends and, mm-hmm. and my wife. But others where it's just kind of like solo passion. And the thing that, you know, is the main connector is that I'm doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on the people that I've chosen to do life with. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, and that's not a position everyone sort of is in or can be in. And I, I totally recognize that and understand even my, you know, how, how lucky I am uh, to, to be in that spot. But I think my kind of standard is that I, I want to do things with people that I, I care about, that I, I, I trust or I value their opinion. Mm-hmm. So the, the most important of those are obviously the people I love and I trust, but also the valuing of opinions. And I think that yeah. that's a thing that can cross over to any field. If, if you're the smartest person in the room, you, you should find a bigger room. True. You know, and, and go work with people that think differently than you, that have yes. better ideas and that, uh, you know, inspire you. I mm-hmm. think, you know, in today's day and age, it's like everyone is, is sort of inundated, right, with so much information all the time and hacks and ways to to better yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that... And the easiest way, by the yeah, way. That often <laughs> we forget easiest. that like, if we put our phone down, sit down with somebody who we perceive to be smarter than us, and perhaps they are, or someone that, that we're inspired by mm-hmm. for 20 minutes, yeah. we're going to get so much more out of that than, than grinding 24-7 <laughs> and get out there and work hard. It's like, yeah, obviously you have to work hard. That's true. You know? But if I hadn't sat with people that I admired throughout the early part of my career and, and even now mm-hmm. trying to find people that inspire me in different fields, I would not be where I, where I am, certainly. Yeah. And I really sub- subscribe to that. Like if I'm around somebody who I respect, I'm going to listen and ask more questions than, than I'm answering. You know? Well, it's true. And I've, I've seen you do that on the business front. I've seen you do that on the relational front with family members with people who are in completely different spaces than you and you being wildly fascinated with where they are, what they do, their perspective on a situation just because you know how varied it is from your own. And that takes real security and wisdom to be able to know that that's where the gold is. (laughs) And I think that's something that I've seen as a through line in your life over and over is that you know where the gold is. 
And I'm not talking about gold and, and business or finances, but I'm talking about like where the meat of a person is, where the hook of an idea is, where the bottom line is of someone. And so I love that you're talking about these different levels of interaction and being like, I'm double downing on the people that I've chosen to do life with and on what's in their heart, which I think is so refreshing. To be honest, culturally, I feel like we're moving away from that, where people are like, no, I just want to do my own thing and just let me do it, please. And you're someone who's like, yeah, no, I've done my own thing. It's also more fun to do it with people you love and to see wins for other people. We'll see my wins. I want to see your wins. Do you think that that open-handedness, because I do think you're speaking to an open-handedness, is that you don't hold people or opportunity or where you're going by the throat, right, and controlling it. You live very much in a yes and kind of space with people, with what's on the horizon. Do you think that that's legitimately walked you into some of the great things you're seeing now? Yeah, I mean, I think that... uh to a certain degree, it has. I think I think it's kind of right place, right time as well. But you know, you, you you really realize quickly once you have a child that you cannot control anything. Mm. And I think that was the 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 biggest sort of lesson for me at that at a stage in my life. I I didn't expect to to learn it. You know, we, do you feel we, like that's the biggest lesson you've learned so far since being a father? Yeah, yeah. It's just that you can't control everything. I mean, we mm. we haven't spoken about it much, and and I, I'm not going to speak yeah. about it much, but. You know, we went through a really t- tough couple months at the start of her life, and you sort of like have that vision of how that's going to go mm-hmm. throughout your whole life, and then it, it it it's something completely different. And then every day from there is completely different. Yeah. It presents its own set of challenges. And the minute you can truly accept that it's out of your control, and that goes for anything, mm-hmm. I feel like there's real freedom, and uh, it's a really a frightening and and somehow liberating feeling. Mm. You know, whether it's career or relationship, whatever. Now, you you can control how you react to situations, but you're just you're not driving the car, right? And so, I think that that's been perhaps the biggest lesson and change in in my life is just the ability to adapt and yeah. and understand that I'm not driving the vehicle and I'm I'm a passenger, and it's only how I react to what happens in my circumstances that matters. And you will get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just go ahead and make peace with it. You will get it right sometimes. It's kind of like walk in humility because there there will be a moment that you you get it wrong. Just walk in humility. Yeah, that's that's it's hard sometimes though. I know. No, I know no, it is. But I'm saying that that's. I'm not talking about success. I'm talking about no. I know humility, like in in your even relationships, because yeah. that's the theme of the thing. It's so easy to to lose sight of that, and that giving up control has been the biggest most important mm. lesson for me. That's a great lesson. Well, I mean, since since you mentioned that, is there anything we've ever thought about that I got wrong that you still wish I'd changed my mind about? <laughs> no. no. no and, and I can't thing. remember because I've given up control. Yeah, that's... Oh, it's out of my oh, hands. You see, you see, that's what it looks like. It's really just like... You know, control. I, I just doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No, that's a good way to live. I'm trying to get there, Nick. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Me there. Me too. By and, the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not there. I'm just... I, I I see it more in you though than I do. You're ahead on this journey, and so I'm I'm looking at you from like a click or two in front, going like, right, yes. But what this doesn't mean is that you're you're not affected by things. You know, today I, I had a moment where I was taken over with emotion about a thing that that was causing me stress, or, mm. and I I let myself feel that, even though I believe that 
it'll work out Mm -hmm. and that it's out of my control. Yeah. But allow yourself to feel along the the way. Like it doesn't mean you just go, "Eh, uh, (laughs) well, (laughs) it's, it's just, you know, kind of accepting that, that no matter how hard you try to make your future happen the way you intended it to happen, it may not. No, I know it may absolutely not. As we're kind of rounding home plate and, uh, you know, we've, we've covered some great ground that I feel like people can glean a lot from. I want to get just directly into some awareness <laughs> things. And this is my question. What could people stop saying to you after a show? Because there <laughs> is a, you know, if you're coming to the show this week, these guys are on tour for the next year their lifetime (laughs) they're doing this beautiful world tour so you might have an opportunity to say hello at some point and i'd like to set us all up to win well i mean look i or what could you say let's not say what you shouldn't say let's reframe it in like what would be an actually kind thing a good entry point of conversation because you got to know that people are obviously intimidated. People don't necessarily know what to say in moments like that, especially if you've just played a stadium like you did. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, you know, what do you say when someone's coming off of that? What? I mean, I, I think that it all depends, right? Of course. What happened in the show. But um, I think anytime someone speaks about the music and mm-hmm. what it meant to us then, what it means to all of us now, there was a, a person who came and just, basically said, you know, I, I, I was looking up these different songs and the lyrics as you were singing them because I didn't know them mm. from that time. I know more of the new stuff. And I'm just so taken by, you know, these themes in, in these songs mm. and, and what you guys were talking about at an early age. That kind of stuff is, is cool to hear. Yeah. That someone is really, like, interested in, in the music and not necessarily, like, the spectacle of it, but, like, the, right. the music. And obviously compliments about it sounding good or yeah, are so, so lovely. But I think as a songwriter, I take so much pride in that part of it. It's just like, wow, they, they care about the lyrics, you know? Yeah, of course. That's a good feeling. Yeah. I, yeah. I would imagine. So when someone comes back and maybe a song to you're like, no one's talked about, you know, yeah. don't speak <laughs> recently or whatever. Totally. And they come in and they're like that line in the second verse and the way that y'all did it tonight. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Specific, specific kind of stuff. Something else that I've uh, just impressed with you about is that you don't have a kind of, okay, we're closing up shop. I have all the friends I need mentality. And I struggle with that a little bit because <laughs> yeah. I kind of just want to be like, I'm good. Thanks. Thank you so much. The inn is full. <laughs> the inn is full. But you're not threatened by a new or an addition or just finding someone awesome. So talk to me about celebrity civilian dynamics for someone you might, because I feel like we we met in like such a specific way that it was just a very natural, easy getting to know you. It wasn't forced. Like we just see each other every couple of months. It was like, you know, even though we have all these years, the first two or three were us like slowly getting to know each other. And so yeah. I wonder where you're at now at this point in life with meeting new people. Yeah. I mean, I've made some great friends over the last couple of years yeah, you have. that just wonderful people. I think that, it, you know, just meeting people where they're at. And if you can get through those first couple barriers of what we were talking about before, mm-hmm. of like, what's the threshold of friendship? And it, it maintains. Yeah. I just keep investing and doubling down on those relationships and seeing where it takes me. And I think early sort of trust and signs of, of intention and mm-hmm. thoughtfulness yeah. are really important. And, you know, I always think like if, if you invite somebody 
to something and they say, hey, can I bring anything? It's such a thoughtful gesture. Yeah. You know, which isn't lost on anybody. And people that do that, I think it's very, very kind. Yeah. So th- those sorts of things, like, I guess gestures of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run the same race and kind of pace as you are important to me. Yeah, because you're always looking for the connection between an intention and what's said, how it's acted, and how it all feels. It's like a gesture or a thoughtful something or even asking or seeing an opportunity to help or do something like that are all connecting points of the intention. So if I tell you that I care about you and I'm so honored that you ask me over and I'm never trying to see if I can bring anything or if I'm never getting up off my feet while I'm over to even see if I can lend a hand. It's like those things are counteractive to the intention that I'm telling you I have and that, no, I'm just here because I love you. If you can be in alignment and actually have every bit of you running in the same direction, then when you meet somebody, wherever and whoever it is, it's like you have a much clearer access point to them. Absolutely. It's like yeah. it's, all, it's all crystal clear. Okay, so you mentioned doing four shows a week and the exhaustion and all that, but it's like, when are you like, and I'm tired. <laughs> and I'm really, really tired. I hit it the other night. I mean, it was it was... You know, sort of a golf tournament that I hosted straight into into playing the, Dodger the sh- Stadium the show, yeah, mm-hmm. and then into an after party that was <laughs> a lot more people than I expected it to yep. be. So I, I kind of was a little taken back by that, and my social anxiety kicked in. What's well, a lot of small luckily, talk. yeah, luckily I have a an amazing wife and partner who's mm-hmm. great at that and takes a lot of that off my plate in those environments because she's so gifted at socializing, but. I with loud music, I have a very soft speaking mm-hmm. voice, and having just sung for three hours, it was a lot. But I reached that point at the party where I was like, um, I have to get home. I got to get out of here. <laughs> and it doesn't mean like I got to get home and go to bed. That's the thing that's always confusing to explain. It's like my exhaustion isn't I'm tired, I need to sleep. Yeah. It's I'm tired, I need to put my feet up and have a drink watch sports center in the background and, and talk. like laugh about something, yeah. laugh about something, talk, talk about, about a dynamic whatever. that I saw. Or, yeah. And, yep. and that is actually, it does more for me than getting that extra 30 or 40 minutes of sleep. Yeah. It's taking time to eat, eat something quickly, have a drink and just talk. Mm-hmm. And then I'm good. Well, you mentioned this, but I want to ask, I just, I, I, man, you know how much I love Priyanka and you know how much I love you. And then equally how much you guys have, gone into each other's worlds and amplified and met each other in such a partnering, beautiful, beautiful way. So how does like finding someone who compliments you and the thoughts, creativity, your trajectory, like help propel you into further healthy relationships? Because I see you guys almost leading each other in this beautiful, legitimately flat-footed, equal, shouldered partnership in this like beautiful way. I think that your partner should encourage friendships that are, are healthy and, and, you know, come into it with that intention to make those relationships stronger. I think for a lot of people, when someone starts seriously dating somebody, the friends get a little either nervous or excited. It just depends on the reaction. I was that um, person. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, we've all been that person. But it's like, you should try to find somebody, I think, that encourages your friendships as well. Mm. And, you know, you need time alone with, with your partner, but you also need a community. It yeah. takes a village. That support in times of trouble and in the great times mm-hmm. is so important. 
Uh, and I think we did just that for each other in a big yeah. way, which was, um, I'm not trying to take you from your friendships and your right. circle. I'm trying to like amplify to make it even make them even better and invest as much as you're investing in those relationships. And, um, I love that about our, our relationship and our, our, you know, connection. Yeah. No, y'all live it out in such a beautiful way. You know, part of reading the room is helping set the tone of a room. And one way that we can do that is by having a delicious and amazing scent be the first thing that your guest smells, the first thing that someone experiences in your space. And that's why I've been really excited to partner with Mood Servant, which is a new apothecary based in LA. And the truth is, I'm a bit of a scent snob, okay? And I can own that. Any of my people will tell you that. I just really like a good candle. I think that sometimes we underestimate the importance of how we keep a space and how we welcome other people into it. So whatever mood you're trying to set, whether it's a dinner on Friday, a Sunday brunch, a Monday book club, you guys, these candles are going to last for you. And this isn't a candle that you're going to walk by and be like, oof, now I have a headache. Okay. Because we have all experienced those. We all have gone into those stores that I won't name in a mall. But the truth is, is that we can do better. So go to moodservant.com. Have fun going through the site. When you go to checkout, just put the code in room 10. Okay. And you'll get 10% off your entire purchase. Now, personally, I'll tell you my absolute favorite candle is the Venice Queen. Now, I also really love the James. Oh, and Courtney's favorite, that would be the tobacco saffron. I mean, going into the holidays, that one is going to be the vibe. But the truth is, whatever your vibe is, whatever mood you're trying to serve up, Mood Servant's there. So again, that's moodservant.com. Enter the code ROOM10. All right, now back to the app. Let's hear what Nick has to say. So I have uh, some questions from our listeners that I thought would be interesting to kind of throw in here. Okay, so as you and your brothers in, engage just in life, obviously my brothers and I, I have, I have two older brothers, and we all kind of hold different seats. Like I'm probably going to be the one who is going to get excitable first, mm-hmm. and I might throw like a thing out, like a warning shot or two, and then Nathaniel's going to be like, well, this is the reality. And then Jonathan's probably going to come in and, and make sure everybody's good. And it's been that dynamic since about as early on as I can remember. If you were to look at your brothers, who is an excitable, who is someone who is always coming in to resolve, or do y'all change roles? It's not even to call anybody out. It's like we all do all of these things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does change all yeah. the time depending on the situation. But, uh, you know, Joe gets at Kevin, or Kevin gets at Joe, and then I'm kind of like, trying to mediate, you know, mediate or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, at times even pick a side, be like, you're out of line <laughs> and that's life and you're out of line. You need to calm down Yeah, and you need to calm down and, uh-huh. and understand what, what he's talking and we'll all calm down, but it is, it is sort of that. So like, yeah. Or I'm the sort of direct and whatever person. And then it's like, it's kind of awkward. Then Joe makes it less awkward. <laughs> I was about to say that Joe comes in and is like, but look at this. Yeah. But I feel like too, it's like in families, sometimes we get overly rigored in thinking like, well, I'm the this one and I'm the this one. It's like, yeah, it no, we're change. the all this one. You can always change your mind. If you leave here with anything, can I tell you, you can always change your mind. All right. We're going to go to one or two more. 
So another question that came up that I'll own is is just in dealing through social anxiety. I think everybody came out of the pandemic, obviously. Everybody had kind of been holed up and learning how to be in big groups and how to have conversations. And has any bit of like anxiety, you know, you mentioned going to a bigger party. When that comes up, and let's just presume that it does, as I believe it does for most people, what is your way out? Do you trust those around you to be like, hey, you see me over here and can we go? Like, how do you navigate that feeling of like, oh, the small talk or... I have two answers. One is that you always keep your glass half full. Not, this is not a, like a metaphor. No, I know, I know, I know. Literally, you keep your glass That's half full. That's a good one. That way you can be like, oh, you know, I'm actually going to get a drink. You want anything? Mm-hmm. If you need to get out, right? Yep. That's one way. That's more of a practical approach. And then the other answer is kind of like, I, I do obviously get so social anxiety and it's, it's most of the time because I have such a soft speaking voice right. and people just can't hear me. And I can I can't like speak louder because they need me to. Like, this and you're is, not doing a bit. People yeah, this is I think, just yeah. how I talk. Yeah. I can't like change it. So right. I, I've just come to terms with it and I wish I could talk over the music. But <laughs> and I, I wish I could. I, I can't. And so I usually just kind of say that like, sorry, I can't hear. I can't. Yeah. And that sort of gets me out of situations. But small talk in general is is very anxiety inducing for me. Yeah, I I feel the same exact way. You're far better at it than I am. You just got to find one access point. Access point, and then you can talk about anything for you know a few minutes. Oh, Nick knows that he'll find me at the same thing that he's running around talking to a bunch of people at in the corner with one person for an hour and a half. Yeah. Be like, hello, hello. I like, I have a few great short interactions in me, but once those are tapped out, that's it. It's really it. And then I'll go deep and all the way there with one person. I just, it's the, it's the quick and like, oh, we're invested. Oh, nope. Okay. I'm going to roll up my mat. It's like every time I come to you, I'm like, oh, I can, I can unpack my, my stuff here, right? I can put this in this. And then someone's like, oh, no, actually, yeah, you want to keep that overnight zip. There's that moment too where you're like, oh, we're actually talking about the weather right now. I know. And you're like, and I'm that person, and yeah. I've been that person. Yeah. Be like, wow, it's, it's so hot this week, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Man, thank you for coming and thank hanging you. out with me. This and, was awesome. Well, you know, I think that my favorite thing about this is being able to introduce people to health and relationship by like highlighting what I love and admire about all the people in my world. It's like a way for people to get to know a healthy community, maybe if they don't have one, maybe if there are pockets in their life of like, no one's ever told me that saying this thing to someone after they've just come off stage or after they've done something I really respect does the opposite thing of what I'm trying to do. And so I appreciate your willingness, A, just to live out everything that you've talked about because relationally, I know that this is an interview setting and all that, but you are just like my favorite dude and you know that. Same. So thank you for literally living out the concept of this show. You and I have talked about this for a couple years now. This has always been my kind of heart burn and I feel like I'm always being like, no, Nick, let's talk about relationship and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to do it at this level and for you to come on and just spend some time really means a great deal. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. I can't wait to hear your episode with Pretty one day. Ooh, it's going to be good. I'll have to remember some of these questions and ask her the same ones, see if we get the same answers. Good call. (laughs) Do a little cross-referencing. Well, I don't even want to tell people, go and follow you, go and find you. You know where he is. You can find him. Follow me. Please follow him. Please go and see a show if you don't have already tickets or if you can get tickets. Let's be very clear. If you can, I, no, I mean, I, I, let me be that. 
Okay. If you can get tickets, and then you just yes, yes, yes. Cool. cool. <laughs> if you can get tickets, but it's a phenomenal show. They're phenomenal guys, worth every bit of support, love. You're an exceptional man. Appreciate you. So before I let you go, and I think the timing of this works. So coming out of quarantine, I remember having a conversation and and kind of thinking through really where I wanted to put my hand next. And the truth is, is that relationships and these dynamics and helping empower other people to have them in a healthy way are my biggest passion, uh, which you know and have encouraged me in, which is also why I am releasing a book next year. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Which, Which I have, I'm very excited for. I don't oh, thank you. And I haven't talked about it. You this should is, all go buy it or pre-sale it now. Is that how you say it? Pre-sale Yeah, it? you should go pre-sale it. Pre-order pre-order it. Pre-order it. You want to tell them what it's called? Yeah, it's called Read the Room. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, I mean, doesn't I mean, that just actually perfect. check out? Which, uh, you know, is, is a great title for not only a podcast, but for a book. Yeah, it turns out that there was some thought. There was for, some thought. Forwarded by... Forwarded by, uh, yeah, forwarded by this uh, gentleman over here who has watched me live it out and has helped, encouraged, championed, and worked through a lot of this content with me. I'm very excited about it. You can find it on pre-order, I think, anywhere, legitimately. I've seen it. it on a lot of places. So it's called Read the Room, and it comes out April 23rd. But go ahead and pre-order it so you just don't day. even have to worry about it, you exactly. know? All right. Well, I just want to thank you one more time for coming on and for spending this chunk of time just loving on our viewers, giving some encouragement, of letting us into your life a bit more. It was fun. It was yeah, great. I hope so. I, it's like it's a chill thing, right? It's I just, love it. Yeah, it's it's sitting in a comfy chair for an hour and have a chat with a friend. Yeah, I Perfect. mean, what's worse? I mean, what's worse? What's worse? <laughs> well, a few things. <laughs> what's wrong with that is what I was going to say. If you know Ina Garden, she always has a this phrase. She'll make like something extremely complicated and she'll be like, what's so hard about that? <laughs> <laughs> so I was going a la that. Microwave. Uh, microwave. If you haven't heard Nigella Lawson say microwave, I encourage you to YouTube it. It's going to bless your life. As Nick Jonas, his amazing music and his brothers and everything they touch will bless your life. So... Love you, ma'am. Too.